What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus? A few years ago, um, I had a young man at my house, and he was looking for some counsel, and he wasn't a Christian. And so we talked about the gospel, and uh, we talked about John John, uh, 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And so we talked about the gospel on following Christ, on believing on Christ, and he's listening. I could tell he's, sometimes I can just tell guys, are in, I call it the vortex, and they're like, they want it and they're tracking, they just need to know what all this is about. And this guy's listening, and he asked this question, and the question was, what will my life be like if I become a Christian? That was his question to me. Because I could tell he wanted to be a Christian, but he didn't know what his life would be like if he became a Christian. What will my life be like if I become a Christian? How would you answer that question? Somebody asked you that. It's a good question, though, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's, it's the right question for people to ask. What's it going to be like? So Jesus told the crowds who were attracted to his ministry, he he had these crowds following him. He was doing the miracles. He was giving these great speeches and parables, and he was rebuking the false leaders and the self-righteous Pharisees and the Sadducees, and people were digging Jesus. He was like the end thing. And he told the crowds, he said, uh, you guys need to consider the cost of following me. Because Jesus isn't really into the big crowds. He doesn't care about that. He's into commitment. He wants people that are genuinely going to follow him. Devotion. And so even this young man that night that I talked to, he was drawn to Christianity because of the church. He was around Christians and he was around believers and he was kind of in the culture, but he wasn't a Christian. And so it was, he was drawn to this. And people should be drawn to our fellowship and what we're about. So I told this guy, before you give your life to Christ, it's wise for you to consider the cost of what it'll be to follow Christ. Potentially, those costs are, I, I just told him, some of the people you love and some of the people that love you might not love you anymore said, uh, might lose some friends, uh, persecution, people might make fun of you for being a Christian. And I told him it's, it's worth it though, it's worth it to follow Christ. Jesus asks, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So this young guy went home, he considered the cost, gave his life to Christ. Followed Jesus. He's here tonight. I'm not going to point him out to you guys, but he's here. And this guy, I'm glad he considered the cost because this last year and last couple years has been really hard. He's gone through stuff that I hope none of us ever have to go through. 
He's here. What does Jesus teach us about following himself? So turn to Matthew chapter 16. I put this in your notes there tonight as well about following Christ. Matthew 16. Theologians call this the seminal passage. The seminal passage. And so I looked that up today before I told you we're going to look at the seminal passage today. I looked it up. So you want to look up seminal in your phone? Okay, don't do that. The word seminal means seed or semen. I thought that's great, God. It's great for a man camp to start off with semen. Like, fantastic. It's a word, it's a word or moment that strongly influences later developments. Influential, formative, groundbreaking. That's all I'm going to say about that, okay? So this is a seminal passage. In other words, like if you only had one chapter in the Bible or one thing that you got, this would be a really good one to get, okay? So in, Luke, in Matthew 16, let me read it for us. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which is north of Galilee, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, say, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But what, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not, shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and he will then recompense every man according to his deeds let me uh, pray for us as we get into god's word father thank you for letting us be together thank you for matthew 16 Thank you for this uh, revelation to us, and we just want to know it and obey it. 
know your heart, your mind. Help us to sense really what's happening here, that we can apply it to our lives, and that we could uh, grow, help us to be more like Christ. Ask these things in his name. Amen. All right. In this section of scripture, the disciples are taken to the highest high, and they're taken to the lowest low. Okay, right in the same passage. The highest high is the first part, right? And basically it's like we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found the Savior. Jesus. And he's our friend. And he's going to give us the keys to the kingdom going to use us to build the church right next to hell gates of Hades aren't going to overtake this thing I don't know if you ever got the keys to something it's an exciting thing to get keys it's a rush it's a whole new experience it's an opportunity what about you I've gotten keys to a car I was really excited about keys to a house I've never gotten the keys to a city, but maybe some of you have. But to you, Peter, you get the keys to the kingdom. Verse 20, Jesus says, Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. So I've got to think the disciples are kind of scratching their head here like, whoa, we just kind of figured all this out, and you're the man, and I got the keys, and now we can't go around telling people about this. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are, not, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man. So, I got the keys of the kingdom. I got Jesus. Party time. Uh, scribes, Pharisees, teachers, like, in your face. Rome, in your face. We're going to start ruling to Jesus calling you Satan stumbling block like that has to be the worst place in anybody's life if jesus christ tells you calls you satan okay there's not any worse than that okay so what will it mean to follow jesus um something interesting here in the context i think that'll help understand this jesus says to peter your interests are on man's interest, not God's interest. So what's happening here is Peter is thinking, life's going to be awesome. We get the keys to the kingdom. And God's interest was Jesus had to go pay the punishment for sin. God's interest was to save a people for himself. God's interest was to send his son to go die, to take our wrath upon himself. 
God's interests are about his justice and his love and his mercy and his grace. All that stuff had to be done through the cross. So that was God's interest, which is really good for us. But man's interest was comfort and party and let's celebrate. So, to our text, verse 24 to 27. This, this, I'll just be honest with you guys, I was a little intimidated studying this text. I've never taught on this text before. It's one of those passages that is just, uh, uh, I don't want to screw this up, you know, like I've just taught a lot of other texts besides this one, but it's a really important text. I'm really glad I got to spend the week really thinking about these things and giving you guys the things that God's given to me. And I think it's really good for you guys to really, really contemplate this stuff. This is what it means to follow Jesus can't be anything more important than that. There's some motivations here to follow Christ. It's interesting. I'll call them motivations. There's three of them. There's an invitation, first of all, to die to self. An invitation to die to self. And the reason I say die to self is because you could say that's the summary of what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross. The other, in the other Gospels, it's daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Dying to self. Just crucified life. All of those are imperatives, they're commands, and so first he must, we must deny ourselves. What does it mean? First of all, I'll share what it doesn't mean. There's some mis, mis, there's wrong ideas about this. What it doesn't mean, and then we'll talk about what it does mean. And then taking up your cross daily. There's some things that it doesn't mean, and there's some things it does mean. And then follow me, okay? So what is deny himself, what does that not mean? First of all, it doesn't mean deny yourself of stuff, of possessions, of things. It doesn't mean a vow of poverty. It doesn't mean to deny yourself of personality, of your personality. Uniqueness of you. Some people are musical, some people are scientific, some people are mathematical, some people like to write. Some people are artsy, some people aren't. It's, it's just the personalities of people and the uniqueness of us make life rich and colorful. Like that's not, Jesus isn't saying deny your personality, that uniqueness of you. You can even see with the disciples, the apostles, after they were saved, they were still kind of their character throughout, their personalities. What does it mean to deny yourself then? The word deny, that word deny there, is actually a stronger word than the word deny. <laughs> In the Greek, it's the word, the word is literally deny, but then there's another word added to it. So it's like this really, really strong denial. It's also, you could think of it as like repu- repudiate. Repudiate. Um, Disown, ignore, strongly reject. It's, it's the idea that if I know like Darren is a danger to me and my family, it's like I need to get away from that guy. I need to get away. So Jesus is saying if you're going to follow me, you have to repudiate yourself. 
You have to get away from yourself. You have to reject your interests. Not reject your stuff, not reject your possessions. That's not the issue. He says you need to reject yourself. You are the issue. I am the issue. And you see this when you study the Bible, who we are as men, right? Where Jesus calls us evil, sinners. We're sheep that have gone astray. We love darkness rather than the light. We're selfish, idolaters, dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, we're children of wrath. We don't naturally seek after God. We're full of ego, full of self. Ephesians 4, Paul calls the old man. He says we're being, the old man is being corrupted with the lusts of deceit. I think about Burning Man. Have you guys ever think about Burning Man, that big event in Reno, outside of Reno? I've had family members that work and manage that event. This is the kind of stuff we talk about at like family parties and stuff, Burning Man. This is like, and what they do is they erect this huge statue of a man and they burn it. It's like, down with the man! It's like, we're the man. We're the ones, we're the problem. It's right here. It's real nice to burn that big thing, but this is it. most fundamental level. So if you understand the context here, Jesus is like, you can't follow me in the state that you're in. Your interests are on man's interests. You care about self-preservation, comfort, self-satisfaction, pleasure. This isn't going to work, guys. (laughs) You're not going to be able to follow me like this. I'm going to die. He doesn't even say, I'm going to die on a cross. He says he's going to be killed. I think it might have freaked out the guys too much if he would have said, I'm going to die on a cross. Okay, you guys take up your cross. So when we come to grips with who we really are, we understand it's, yeah, we need to deny ourselves. Get it. You understand who the Bible says we are, who God says we are. Deny yourself. Second requirement to dying to self is put on a cross. Take up your cross daily. What this doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean to take up your cross daily, it doesn't mean you're going to die for Jesus. You might die for Jesus. Probably not. I don't know anyone personally that's died for Jesus. It also doesn't mean your cross is your personal struggles in life. It's not your inconveniences. I have to be married to her. She's my cross. I have to bear my cross. She's probably saying the same thing about you, okay? Everyone has a cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is saying. The cross isn't a burden. It's not an inconvenience. The cross is an instrument of death. People got crucified on crosses. 
And it's a one-way ticket. You didn't pick up your cross and go back. You went to go and die. Guess what, guys? We're all going to die. Taking up your cross daily is a daily call of submission and surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, being willing to suffer for His sake, surrendering to Him, being under His yoke. Someone who took up their cross culturally, the guys would have known this, the disciples would have saw this a lot because there were times apparently in history where 3,000 people were crucified on one day. And so they must have just reuse crosses. I don't know how it all happened, but it was funky. And so the guys would have saw this. They would have known how this happened. And basically what happens is you're, you're guilty of a crime that required death as payment. And so you took up your cross. You surrendered to the, what they said. And you went and you, you died. So for us as men, we understand we deserve to die for our sin. And we understand that we deserve to bear a cross. Look at, so this, Jesus warned them. Look over at John 15. I just want to read you what Jesus says to these guys. John 15, 18 to 21. Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So Jesus warned these guys, this stuff's going to happen. Take up your cross, follow me. Philippians 2, have this mind or attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. And that's all a picture of humility, of surrender, right? And Jesus, who didn't find it equality with God, a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself, took the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, even to death, even death on a cross, Paul says. So it's this, this attitude of submission to the lordship of Christ and being willing to sacrifice for Christ. And once we start understanding this, it'll help us to understand what it means to love. Because love is sacrifice, right? When Paul in Ephesians 5, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Right? We're sacrificing ourselves. It's a call to sacrifice. Agape is love, the sacrificial love. So you're, we're laying down our life for the brethren, we're laying down our life for, like Christ loved the church for our wife. We're doing what's right, even though it will cost you personally. It might cost your image. It might cost your checkbook. It might cost your portfolio. But it's not about you anymore. <laughs> when you follow Christ. I have a friend who is uh, from Forceville. He got saved. God's saving all these guys from Forceville. It's really cool stuff going on right now. Anyway, this guy gets saved. And he's in the construction business, and so he put a fish on his car because he thought 
well, the guys that I knew were Christian were pretty honest guys, and so I think if I put a fish on my car, people will think I'm a pretty honest guy too, and maybe they'll hire me to do more jobs. And he's like, Lance, after I put that fish on my car, everybody started giving me a hard time. Started getting harder. Still got the fish on his car. Third requirement to dying to self is following Jesus, following me. And this is the real key to all this, guys, is you could circle me, underline me. Verse 24, follow me. When you understand who he is, hard to say this stuff gets easier, but it's not quite as hard when you understand who you're following and how great Jesus is. He just fed 4,000 men who we could think might be 12,000, 13,000 people. He just did that. He just took some loaves and had this miracle and taught them that he was the bread of life. He's the only one that can satisfy our soul. He just rebuked the false teachers in Matthew 16. Who are we going to follow? Like, you are the Christ. Jesus even asked his disciples, he started having, he started having hard teaching in John chapter 6. And people were starting to, oh, this is tough. And they started leaving Jesus. People started not following anymore. And he looked at his disciples and he goes, you guys going to leave too? And I love Peter's answer. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're who we're going to follow, right? So when your eyes are open to who he is, the greatness and glorious Savior, Christ, it's not impossible to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow this one. Because you trust him, you know him. John 2, 5, 1 John 2, 5 says, By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So following Jesus is following his example. So kids used to wear that bracelet. What would, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? That's a good question we should always be asking ourselves. How did Jesus handle this? How did he approach this? He's so fascinating, guys. And you read his life in the Gospels and the stories and how he approached stuff. <laughs> and I'm always like, I wouldn't have handled it that way. I probably wouldn't have said it like that. Just always blowing my mind just how awesome he is. Second motivation for following Jesus. These will be a little quicker. There's a promise of life here. There's a paradox in verse 25. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I was kind of wondering, is that somebody who loses their life, like, physically will find eternal life with Jesus? Or is it somebody who loses his life, like, gives his life to Christ for the sake of Christ will find life? Both are true. (laughs) Both are true. 
If your life is about self-preservation, selfish ambition, self-indulgence, a life of ease and comfort, you'll lose it. But if your life is for Christ, about his gospel, you will find it. Another way of thinking about this, it's better to lose everything here and get everything there. Verse 26, for what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? These are all guy words here in verse 26, by the way. We understand these words of profit, gaining, forfeiting, exchanging. All these are, when we shared our jobs, all of us can relate to these words that Jesus uses here. What will a man gain if, if he gains the whole world? That's the word for winning. If he wins the whole world, if he's successful in life and yet forfeits his soul, I did it my way. I was successful. What, what good is it if you do that and you forfeit your soul? The word forfeit there, it's not lose. When you lose, you get a, a loss. <laughs> when you forfeit, you're penalized. Forfeiting is like breaking the rules and a judge has it. You, you lost. Punishment for not playing right. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is a banking business term. It's a purchase price. What's your price? What can you be bought for? What is your eternal soul worth to you? Go over at Luke 12. Here's the delusion that we have. Jesus tells us, And this is really good for American culture in Luke 12. And I have a three-car garage, so this is particularly convicting for me, but I'll still read it to you. Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard, against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for your many years to come. Take your ease and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the human delusion, the lie, is the more you have, the happier you will be. That's a lie. And I know that's a lie because we used to these missions trips to Mexico, and these kids who had nothing were so happy. Right? It makes you want to go back. Like, it's addicting. Because we need to be shown that over and over again in our culture. There's another motivation here. 
for following Jesus and giving your life to Jesus. And that's the fact that judgment is coming one day. Verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Jesus is the judge. He's the final judge. He's going to come and judge one day. We'll have to stand before him. All of us will have to stand before Jesus one day and give an account, whether you're a Christian or not. For Christians, it's called the Bema Seat Judgment. It's a judgment of rewards. But there's also, there could be a shame in that because if we just lived our life collecting, going after material stuff, and that's all we have, it just all burns up. If we save, but through fire to look at our life and see whether it was good or bad whether you used your life for him and his kingdom or not for the unbeliever there's the great white throne judgment and there's hell eternal punishment and revelation you really need to think about this really need to consider this. That's why it's tough with Jesus. Is it's, you're either for him or against him. He doesn't leave any middle ground. <laughs> we're either going to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him to heaven, or we're not. There's no third avenue. People struggle with that. So, the unbeliever needs to repent and believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior and begin to follow Jesus, be forgiven of their sin. The believer, who's under conviction of this stuff, which I don't know how you can't be, but anyway, needs to repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and follow him. a good weekend to kind of consider this stuff, like really think about this, get away. You know who's really denying themselves this weekend? Our wives. They're like, I'll take the kids this weekend. I'll deal with all four of your offspring. You go deal with the seminal passage. Right? They're the ones denying themselves this weekend, but it's good, guys, to get away and to really think about this stuff, be challenged by this. I want to show you just one more um, story from Christ. We'll finish with this because it's helpful. This is a really helpful passage to see all this come together. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says stuff like this all over the Gospels. In Mark 10, there's a story of the rich young ruler. Remember that guy? Verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. He's self-righteous. I think most of us could say that too. Like, yeah, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. 
I don't steal. I don't defraud. I've honored my parents. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes to the heart with those things. You've lusted after a woman, you're an adulterer. If you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you're a murderer. And he goes, mm, you know. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. I love that. Jesus felt agape for this guy. You know, sometimes they say, this agape is uh, the love of the will. It's not a feeling. Well, Jesus felt agape for this guy. So, guys who are real nerdy with this stuff, you've got to figure that out. You can feel agape for people. Probably should. Even self-righteous people. Said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But at these words, his face fell and he went away grieved. For he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking upon them, Jesus said, With men it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. I left the fishing business, Jesus, and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brother, sisters, mother, father, children, farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You guys, uh, this is crazy. I, I grew up with one brother. And now I have 55. I grew up with no sisters. And now I got a ton of sisters. I grew up with one mom. And now I got a bunch of moms. They're a little tougher. <laughs> I grew up in a trailer. And now I have a house with a foundation. A two-story house. And I'm not trying to preach this health, wealth, gospel. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying what Jesus says here to me is, is true in my life. And I've lost some friends along the way. People say all kinds of weird things about me in my community that I grew up in. I don't care. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for a chance to be in your word tonight. Thank you for this challenge and Matthew 16, it's all over the place in the Gospels, Lord. Thank you for the hard messages that are convicting. 
that challenge us to our core. Thank you for this weekend that we can really think about these things and consider them for our lives. Help us to really not squander this opportunity, Father. And so we thank you for for this time. We thank you for each guy that could be here and give up whatever was going on this weekend to be together. I know it was hard for some guys, but I pray that you'd bless them tremendously, that, that they would just really hear your voice speaking to their heart, each guy. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to be with you forever, God. You are so good, so glorious, so gracious. Thank you for Jesus. In name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Lance. Um, as, as we close tonight, I think um, it'd be appropriate if we have a response with a song. Um, amazing how God kind of preordains these things. Um, we're going to sing in Christ alone, which is the perfect song to be singing. Uh, as we've learned about our life, it's not about ourselves, but about Him and where our hope fleeting in our own effort, but in him it's, um, it's sure. So why don't we stand one more time and sing Christ alone together. In Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song stone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. alone took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain and bursting forth day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his he is mine bought with the precious blood of in life, no fear in death.
Campfire, volleyball, or miscellaneous. Yeah. Have a great night, you guys. Nope. Yep. Uh,